from the Diocese of Gallup, welcome to Crozier Cast. I'm the Director of Communications, Susan Hammonds, and with me, as always, is your host, Bishop James Wall. Bishop Wall, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing great, Suzanne. How are you doing? Good. We, uh, we'll put up a photo. We just set up, kind of finalized our, our recording studio, which is a lot of fun. So we're sitting here. It's um, very NPR-ish. Yeah, it is. We're going to play... Again, feeling like Derry Murbles. We're going to play jazz on jazz <laughs> on jazz, yeah. <laughs> um... So today we're going to talk about something that's a little new. Um, Pope Francis just came out with a new... Um, apostolic exhortation. Yeah, so can actually we start with that? What is the difference between like an apostolic exhortation and a regular... Um, um, uh, the word is escaping me. The um, encyclical. Encyclical. Um, so an apostolic exhortation, it's, it's essentially kind of a personal document that's, that's written... Um, a little more of a kind of in a personal tone uh, from the Holy Father. Uh, for example, we had um, Deus Caritas Est. That was the first one for Pope Benedict, and, and we th- see things. One of my favorites is um, uh, Ecclesia in America from Pope St. John Paul II. And then we have an encyclicals that, you know, either uh, come from a council or probably my favorite encyclical, which we celebrated 50, year, 50 years this year, is um, humana vitae, and so it would probably it's a papal document, but it's it, it, for for that it's probably a, a little less of a personal document. Um, where exhortation is, I would say, a little more personal. That's probably easy way to, to describe it. There's probably a much much deeper way, but I got you. And so exhortation sort of means like a call, right? Like he he's calling us to listen to what he's he's written here. Yes. Um, okay. So could we, uh, let's, let's break it down. What exactly um, is this exhortation? So, yeah, Gaudete et exultate. And so um, essentially what he's, he's drawing on is he's drawing on from uh, the Beatitudes, right? And, um, and that's, that's kind of his lead-off point. And one of the things I always like about Beatitudes, if you know, a lot of people have said this before, so this is nothing original, um, and I use it a lot, is they say if, they, if you took the Gospels and tried to compress them or sum them up, you could find everything in the Beatitudes. Hmm. And really it's a way that a, a Christian, a disciple of Christ, should live uh, one's life. And so uh, that's, that's kind of how he, he, he leads off. Um, uh, but in terms of the beginning of the, the encyclical. But one of the things I like right away he gets into one of my favorite things right away he gets into the saints and i think the saints are so important because we live in a world right now where um, maybe some of the heroes or the people we look to or you know they're powerful they're wealthy they're uh, glamorous they're you know all these different things and they might not i mean they, they they're not popular not necessarily for their virtue but um, when we look at the saints, you know, what are the saints? What made the saints great? First of all, their fidelity to Christ. Second of all, their virtue. And certain virtues stood out more in others. You know, certain saints more than others. We look at the martyrs; they're always uh, very, very courageous. We look at, um, you know, somebody who uh, lived a, a chaste life, so we're able to see the virtue of chastity. Uh, different things like that. Yeah, and he he mentions here uh, silence, especially which is very different from what you just mentioned. It's kind of a lot of times 
uh, we're so busy or the world is so noisy or there's so many things sort of clamoring for our attention. So he has this, he has this note here about silence, about how important that is. And it makes perfect sense coming from a Jesuit. We always have to remember <laughs> he's a Jesuit really at heart, even though if he chose the name of St. Francis, um, because he would know the spiritual exercises very, very well. Something that comes to us from St. Ignatius of Loyola, who is the, the founder of the Society of Jesus. And when, you know, when you're, you're doing the exercises, you know, there's, there is so much need for silence, really, in any form of prayer. If you do Lectio Divina or some other uh, form of prayer, you know, there's so much need for, for um, silence to really contemplate, especially if you're contemplating the Word. And, um, you know, there's so much in our society right now that's competing for our attention. And so... When we're, we're quiet, then we're able to hear the voice of the Lord. You know, a simple line like, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening from the scriptures. Or we think about Elijah running for his life and seeking the Lord and all these great manifestations that, that possibly could be God, but it's not until it's in the stillness, it's in the silence, it's in the whisper where he encounters God. And so, yeah, like I said, this, this is uh, perfect for... For a Jesuit to say this, but not just a Jesuit, this is perfect for the entire church. And that's why it's a personal letter from a Jesuit who is our Holy Father, successor of St. Peter, and what he's calling us to is to make time for that silence in our lives. And, you know, even in the liturgy, there are many times in the sacred liturgy where there's supposed to be sacred silence. If we look at the general instruction in the Roman Missal, if we look at Sacrosanctum Concilium, which is the definitive document from the Second Vatican Council, it speaks so much about silence. Mm. But if you look at the liturgy, especially on Sundays, um, many times we uh, seem to be afraid of silence. Uh, we need to fill it up with, uh, which was just sound. You know, sometimes if there's silence, you know, God bless our musicians and everything. They might get a little uncomfortable, and they they have to play something. Yeah, play something under it. Or, and it might not even be them, you know, people might complain to them, well, it was quiet, why weren't you, you know, playing a little ditty while we were, um, while everybody was, while the priest was uh, purifying the vessels. Yeah. But, you know, silence is essential to encounter um, the living God. Yeah. Well, it's tough, too, to keep our attention focused, because I know a big thing for me, and probably a lot of people my age is, if we're if there's a second of downtime, it's immediately look at look at the phone, you know, sure. check, check Twitter, look at you know, uh, see Snapchat from a friend, whatever. And so it's tough sometimes to just uh, try to get rid of that instinct in a, in something like a, a mass setting, especially if there is no music, like you mentioned. It's almost like a wait a minute, what do I do with myself now? You know. Sure, sure. So. Weekday mass is probably a little easier to do that, and for a lot of people that go to weekday mass, they're daily communicants. And you would say that, you know, they're, they're, they're probably going to have a deeper prayer life and they're probably going to be used, uh, used to the silence a little more. But, you know, silence offers a great opportunity for discernment, discernment of the Lord's will. Big questions, state and life, little questions, how one ought to live one's life. Do you think there was a specific reason he's releasing this now, or is it uh, just something he kind of does on a regular basis? Well, this is his third, uh, third. I think this is his third apostolic exhortation. You know, so um, that's about right. That seems seems about right. Um, but you know, it's it's really um, 
It's very accessible. It's very pragmatic. I think that's one of the things that we can really see about this this pope is that, like when I always, when I always talk about the letter of Saint James, it's a you know it's a pastoral letter, and I always say it's you know how one ought to live one's life, and I think this is written in the same vein: how one ought to live one's life. Yeah. And that's why he leads off right away with, with the Beatitudes, you know, f- taken from the title. That's why he jumps right into the saints. In other words, these are the ones who have gotten it right. These are our elder brothers and sisters in the faith. So imitate their example in as much as they, they imitate Christ. That's why, he, you know, there's a beautiful, beautiful uh, reflection on uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary, um, which you know, is so, new, so true for many of the, the documents of the church. Yeah. And, um, you know, really kind of uh, the, the, how the, Our Lady really is the saint among saints and, and uh, how she and herself teaches us the way of holiness. The Second Vatican Council always called her the, the model of discipleship. And a disciple is someone who learns from Christ, imitates Christ, and who does that better but Our Lady. Yeah. Now, a lot of this in here is, is thing, um, are, are terms that Catholics and Christians will be familiar with, like uh, humility, Eucharist, things like that. But this this only appears, it looks like, once in the whole exhortation, but it's kind of striking to me. He uses the term um, internet. So this is, this is uh, he, he specifically talks about the tendency that we have, especially in our modern times, and even, even specifically sometimes Catholics, about um, we engage in just anger, all this anger and hatred. I mean, I'm sure... You know, it's it's so much. It's so easy to, to see people on uh, Facebook or social media or through the internet or in a comment section and and think of them as not human, but there there is another human being across there. Sure, sure. I think that's it's super interesting how he specifically. It's it's it, where you can tell we're living in a modern age that he he specifically has a little section here about the. Well, I know about about fifteen years ago, I I received an email from someone, and it really was just a personal attack on me, and um, I was just about ready to sit down and just fire something back that was uncharitable, that would have, you know, really kind of attacked this person. And I was talking to one of the, this is when I was working in the Diocese of Phoenix, and I was talking to one of the ladies, just a really good, holy lady, and I was mentioning this to her, and she says, you know, whenever you get one of those things, give it some time. Sometimes give it an afternoon, sometimes give it a night, sometimes give it some prayer, and then go back to it. And I did that, and I went back to it, and I, I, um, I was much uh, more charitable in my response, much more measured in, in what I said, and it wasn't this just personal assault upon her. And I think the difficulty, and one of the things our Holy Father's getting at right now, is that it's so easy to fire back at someone. And we see people all the time getting in trouble for this tweet that they did, maybe, you know. 10 years ago, did we have Twitter 10 years we, ago? Or Yeah, I think it just celebrated recently its 10th anniversary. So there you go, I'm, so, yeah. I'm, I'm hip and I'm up on that. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we, we see people doing something like that. And, and, uh, and, you know, they might have been young, they might have been stupid, they might not have been in the right state of mind. Um, they might have just did it out of anger, and the second that they did it, yeah. they wanted to take it back. And, um, you know, it's like... You know, the internet can be a good thing. The things on the internet can be a good thing, but at the same time, it, it, it's kind of like a two-edged sword. And, and then again, you know, all things in moderation. Yeah. Because it, the internet um, can, can tend to be very impersonal. 
And I think that's all another one of the things the Holy Father's getting at. Um, those personal relationships start to break down. And if they start to break down, we don't see the other for who the other is. The other is um, creating the image and likeness of God. And we just see the other as a target yeah. for our personal assault. Yeah. So that's a really good, a really good section. Um, and you can find that, I think, if, you, if you're looking on the Vatican's website and someone is, is listening and wants, it's on uh, paragraph 115, which is really cool. Um, as you read through this and, and kind of examined it, were there any other specific sections that stood out to you? Well, I, I think one of the themes we've seen over and over with uh, Pope Francis is um, the, the notion of uh, the poor and serving the poor and recognizing the face of Christ in the poor. Um, probably the best place we learned that is Matthew 25. I was hungry, thirsty, um, homeless. You gave me food, drink. You gave me shelter. Whenever you did this for the least of these, you did this for me, our Lord tells us. And I think that's one of the things... I would say it's kind of at the heart of the gospel, but it's also at the heart of this pontificate. And we're, we're able to see our Holy Father really doing some very concrete things, you know, turning Vatican property into places that will serve the poor, that will give them shelter, give them showers, places to eat, things like that. So he's, he's um, yeah, he has a special love for the poor, and that shouldn't surprise us because he... He chose the name of the poor one. He chose the name uh, first pope in 2,000 years, very first pope, to choose the name of uh, St. Francis. You'd think somebody would have taken it before. Yeah. Somebody would have called that name, but I guess he, he called it. So it's his now. That's tough, too, because we live, uh, again, in such sort of a, a politicized time. And it's tough to, to sort of look at the human person without uh, immediately knee-jerking to fall on one side of the political spectrum or the other, you know. And it's tough because I know in, in many cases the church doesn't take an official stance on things and tries and, and tries to guide, but leaves certain things up to the conscience of a of a voter. But this is one of those things too, where you sort of have to wade in. And he mentions, you know, uh, you the, he, he mentions different biblical passages, just like you said, that we it, no matter where we fall on the spectrum, as long as we look at the heart of the the human person, you know, that's yeah. important. I think it, it's really easy in our, in our, in our uh, world today to become so politicized, yeah. to be left or right or red or blue or conservative or liberal. It's too easy to become politicized. And I think when we do that, what we do is we, uh, we, kinda, we, we check our brain at the door. We stop thinking through things. And so if our starting point is the gospel and we're looking at gospel passages, you know, gospel passages in terms of concern for the poor, um, gospel passages in terms of how I should evangelize, gospel passages in, in terms of uh, great love for the Eucharist, things like that. I think when we put ourselves in different camps, uh, then, we're, then we miss the truth, right? We, we stop pursuing the truth. And we just simply say, well, I'm on, I'm on this team or I'm on, I'm on that team. And we just kind of we, we, uh, go with however the crowd goes. And I, I think that's another thing that, that he's getting out. But yeah, that, that danger of being very politicized. You hear people say that all the time. Well, I'm conservative. Well, what does that exactly mean? Or I'm liberal. What does that exactly mean? And I, I don't think people really truly know what that means. Or so often it's, it's mean, you know, if you don't think the same way we do, or if you're on a different, you know, so-called team, you're, you're less than human, you're worthy of ridicule or sure. things, you know. And, and so I like how he talks about... Um, 
keeping the dignity of the human person in mind. You know, it's it, kind of throughout this whole thing, it's it's sort of a running theme and using humility. Um, another thing I see here that I, I like a lot is he talks about having a sense of humor. Yeah. So he says that, uh, uh, where is it here? He says that um, ill humor is no sign of holiness, which I think is pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> you know, it's kind of it's kind of funny because I like that again. Um, it, you have to remember at the end of the day to be to be joyful. You know, not not sure. to say that we're not going to experience hardships, but I like that. It's a good it's a good call to to radiate joy and and you know we we get we get one life on this earth, so you know and take advantage of it. You know, don't sure. be, don't be sour. <laughs> yeah, and joy is a, you know a sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit too. You know, I think sometimes we can get caught up on this, and uh, don't get me wrong. You know, piety is very good. Yeah but we can maybe become over pious and kind of walk around with like a sad face all the time or maybe even, uh, you know, an, an angry face. And, um, you know, it's okay to smile. It's okay to be joyful. It's okay to have an outward expression of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and uh, this, this uh, powerful relationship that you have with Christ and this, and this church. So th those are okay. Those are okay to, uh, things to do. Yeah. And he, specific, he, he mentioned St. Thomas More, St. Vincent de Paul, which we just had a, you just had a podcast recently with the ladies of, I believe it was St. Vincent de Paul. Yeah, right? St. Thomas More was my, uh, yeah. my, that was my patron saint for confirmation. So, so there's a lot of good stuff. I mean, it's, it's And to put in a little plug, we're getting ready to go on an English yeah. Martyrs tour with Patrick Madrid in, uh, in October. So um, go on Canterbury Tours to take a look at that or on Patrick Madrid's uh, <laughs> website or on the diocesan website. Dioceseofgallup.org. That was a shameless plug. Yeah, shameless plug. Yes. No problem. Um, okay, so as we kind of move towards the towards the home stretch, if if people were to take a look, I mean, I'm, uh, it's kind of a long document. You know, that's no problem if people want to sit down and read it. But if you, is there something in particular that you, if they only have a few minutes, what would you recommend they take away or look at? Well, I think if they if they only have a few minutes, I would hit on the starting point, and that is the Beatitudes. To really kind of study that and see how that's fleshed out throughout it, but you know we we sit down and we, we have no problem sitting down and reading a novel that's two, three, four hundred pages, and and really, you know how important is that compared to something like this, a letter from the successor of Saint Peter, that's telling us and helping us how to live a virtuous life, which can only help us to get to heaven. So you know you might want to take it bit by bit by bit. Some of the things that you can do is you can say, okay, I'm going to take uh, 10 points a day and, and then in the morning and then the rest of the day I'm kind of meditate upon that. And, you know, after so many days you, you have the whole thing done. And so that's, that's, I think that's a good, good thing to do. But I, I, again, I would, I would go back to the Beatitudes and one of the reasons why I said go back to the Beatitudes is 2,000 years there have been people who said, the Beatitudes are a summation of the Gospels. And so if we live our life according to the Beatitudes and we're being faithful to Christ in this church. Yeah. And uh, for those interested, it looks like that's in chapter 3 of this. Um, and it's nice because they've divided it up. Each paragraph is numbered and then they've divided it up into chapters and then subsections. So really it just, it's easy to take a few chunks of it if you're standing in line at the post office or if you have a few minutes. It's, uh, it's nicely divided up here. Which yeah, I think one of the cool things too is, um, and, and I've said this before, this Bernard Clairvaux, the three most important virtues, humility, humility, humility. So 118, 19, and 20, he talks about humility. 
And so that's a foundation, um, because without humility, there's no room for love, there's no room for God, there's no room for anyone else, because the opposite of humility, the vice, is pride. And so um, that's probably something good to reflect upon, yeah. that, uh, that whole notion on humility. And he makes it real easy for you, too. He talks about daily humiliations, and that doesn't mean times where you're embarrassed, but like, for instance, if you, if you uh, praise someone else instead of boasting about yourself, or if maybe uh, you do a small household chore, little things like this, and then offering those things up, it's, it's really cool how he breaks it down. It is. Nicely, you know? I remember hearing a line from St. Teresa of Calcutta who visited our diocese and spoke at our cathedral. Their sisters serve here, but she said that humiliations are good for us uh, if we receive them properly because they, re they remind us of our dependence upon God. And that's, that's something that's always come back to me. Now when I'm humiliated, a lot of times I don't remember that, but maybe after the fact I might remember that. Awesome. All right, so we will link to all of this in our show notes. Um, there's a great article from this, this website called uh, Alicia. I hope I'm pronouncing it right, but they have a great breakdown too. Um, and then if, if not, you can always go to the Vatican's website, the English version, it'll be right there for you. Um, so that about does it for us, and we have some, uh, some exciting guests coming up in the next couple weeks, so be on the lookout for that. And of course, in the meantime, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch um, on, uh, on Facebook, through SoundCloud, or emailing us. So thanks once again, Bishop Wall, for another episode. You're welcome. Thanks. God bless. Yeah.